You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Late start today and kind of by design, I guess. Um, I've mentioned a million times how weekends aren't great. And I thought, you know, it's worth at least trying releasing it later. Just see what happens. Maybe everybody's sleeping in. They're kind of lounging around. They don't want to wake up first thing in the morning and try the podcast. But by, you know, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, whatever, like, eh, see what's going on. I don't know. I, it, it, We'll see. But because it's been kind of a uh, busy week, we haven't really hardly dug in to the L.A. Rams at all, so that's what we're doing today. Uh, I do want to look at the injury report first and foremost. Um, As has been noted, Aaron Rodgers has his toe injury, um, apparently has not practiced all week, and at this point, yes, it does make me nervous. Um, As much as my brain keeps wanting to come back to, it's Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't need practice. Apparently, he does. Because there, there seems to be a very strong correlation between his um, ability to play well and him practicing a lot. You know, he didn't do anything really in the offseason. In week one, you saw what happened. Um, we know that after bye weeks, the team is terrible. I'm sure that's not because Aaron Rodgers is playing his best football. Last week, he came back from COVID after having not even been with the team at all. Didn't seem to do very well or I should say two weeks ago, against Seattle. But even last week, with limited practice because of his toe, although things kind of picked up toward the second half, we saw the beginning, the first, at least the first half, he was missing a lot of throws. So yeah, it does make me nervous, and especially the fact that he said this is not something that's going to get better. So it's not like, well, after the bye week, he'll be practicing every day. I don't know that. If this is something that really just isn't going to heal, then he's just not going to be practicing. You know, so that stinks. <laughs> but he's playing, so we'll take it as a W. Looking at the rest of the injury report, David Bakhtiari and Malik Taylor still out. Again, for anybody wondering for the hundredth time, no, I don't think they're just keeping Bakhtiari out because they want to wait until after the bye. He's not playing because he's not ready. And that's true of everybody. Anybody that's ready is playing. If anything, they would rush him back. But, um, uh, and that's, I mean, with, with David Bakhtiari, obviously we know that because he just went under the knife again. So it's going to be at least a couple weeks. But um, anybody else, Kevin King is doubtful. If they felt he could play, he's, he'll play. You know, and th- this is, getting back to Kevin King, this is a bit of an issue um, for him for a lot of reasons. Although he seems to be playing a little bit better in Joe Barry's system, I don't know that he's playing heads and tails better than a lot of guys that have come into this system that have had no good career. Razul Douglas, as we've said before, has never really been good at football ever. He's playing about as well as Kevin King. So the idea that we're going to pay Kevin King a bunch of money because he's just playing not good, but not horribly, plus he's he's extremely injury prone, um, I don't really think that's a real big possibility, especially after we just got Stokes. Stokes is the future. So we would be paying Kevin King to be a full-time slot guy, and I just, again, I don't see that happening. I think he finishes out the year and he goes bye-bye, which I don't know if anybody's been doubting that at all, especially considering the cap considerations. But even if the cap wasn't a big issue, I don't see any real reason, um, unless he stays for a really 
big discount that he would stick around, but I just I don't see it. The injuries alone are a big enough problem. Some of the questionable players, Rashawn Gary, sounds very positive, moving in a very positive direction. Um, he actually was a full participant in practice, so um, I mean that's a great sign. That doesn't mean he won't, if he plays, he won't be on a snap count. But he, he, all these guys are kind of on a snap count anyways. You know, you get guys like Rashawn Gary, and they don't play him as much as you'd like because they want to keep him fresh for those real serious pass rush opportunities. He may be on a more limited snap count, but, you know, if you look at last week, what I was saying about Minnesota is if we just had Rashawn, we, that, that may have been enough to win the game just because of a little bit more pressure. If that's all he is in this game... If that's all he is, is a critical third down, put him out there, I'll take it. Um, I think the biggest shock for me is the fact that Aaron Jones might be playing in this game. And if you want an example of a guy um, or, or of proof that they're more likely to rush guys back than hold him out just because we're butted up against a bye, it's Aaron Jones. We don't need Aaron Jones. We have A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon is more than capable of carrying the ball 25 times and being a receiver and a blocker and everything else. Why not just give him another week to heal? Because it's the Rams. Because this is a very, very, very big game. The Packers know it. Everybody knows it. And so it's all hands on deck. Um, Another big name that I think could be massive, although it doesn't feel massive, is Alan Lazard. Um, Another guy that may be back this week. He did practice all week. I know Lazard hasn't been a massive force this year. But as I've said, one of the biggest issues for this offense is just not having that next guy after Devontae. And we started to see MVS open things up a little bit. And if we can have MVS and Alan Lazard, as well as obviously Devontae, and getting that full group going with a little bit of Randall here, maybe a dash of Amari once or twice, a little bit of DeGuaro over there, it's going to be real important, especially against the Rams. You know, they, they have a talented defense, and you have to be able to attack them. So as bad as things are, and I know we keep losing a lot of guys, um, this is one of the more. This is the closest to healthy that we've been, um, and and again, it really just comes down to we we just can't lose any more guys, you know, like we did with Elton for the long haul. If it's a week here, a week there, once in a while, as long as we're getting more guys back than we're losing, that's fine. But um, this is kind of awesome that it's going to be potentially, you know, the the offense being Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, MVS, Alan Lazard, AJ Dillon, and Aaron Jones. I mean, this is maybe the more complete, one of the most complete offenses we've seen pretty much all year. Defensively, that's not really the case, but as long as Rashawn is out there, I think we've still got a pretty good shot at this. As for the Rams, they really don't have anybody um, on their injury report, nobody of note that's going to be out at least, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they just came off their bye week. So they're coming out fresh, they're coming out healthy, they're coming out with an extra week of game planning for the Packers. I mean, it's not a good situation to be in. There's no other way to put it. Now, on that note, because it's it's worth noting, obviously the Green Bay Packers haven't been great after their bye. What about the LA Rams? Well, the LA Rams are 3-1. and one. Now, there's a couple interesting notes on this. Number one, they were favored in every single one of those games. Now, technically the Rams are favored right now. It is by one point. So this is going to be the toughest game they've faced after a bye since Sean McVay has gotten there. That's why I went with 4-1, and one, not 15-2 and two or whatever it would have been going back in time further. Since Sean McVay has been there, um, they are 3-2. and two. Now, a couple other things. In 2017 and 2018, they blew out the team that they were going up against. Now, these are also the two times they were the biggest favorites. They were 5.5-point favorites 
In 2017 against the Giants, they won 51-17. The next year, they were 10.5-point favorites against the Detroit Lions, and they won 30-16, so 14 points. We'll call that a pretty big blowout. Now, the last two years, 2019 and 2020, against Pittsburgh, they were 4-point favorites, and they lost 12-17. And against Seattle, they were 3-point favorites. This is last year. They won 23-6, so 7 points. So the last two years, first of all, they're one and one. Being favorites in both games, three-point favorites and four-point favorites, they went one and one. They lost by five in one game and won by seven in the next game. So if you look at the overall record over four years, you look at it and say that's fairly impressive, although they were pretty big favorites, but you got two blowouts. But those were three and four years ago. The last two years, as the Rams haven't necessarily been the most dominant team in football as they were three and four years ago, They've been mediocre. In other words, I would look at this and say there's really no difference. In ter- there's, if you look at 2017 and 2018, you would say this team after the bye is dominant. You look at the last two years and go, there's, there's nothing really impressive here. You should have gone 2-0 and because you were favorites in both of these games and you went 1-1. and So I'm personally not looking at this and saying this is a team that plays really well after a bye. It's crazy to me that since that in that same time frame, the Packers are 0-4. I wonder how far, when was the last time we won after a bye? Was it in 2016? Yep, 2016, but we lost in 2015 also. So 2015 is when trouble started. If I went back to 2010, we went undefeated. 2010, 11, 12, 13, and 14, we didn't lose. That's kind of crazy. Anyways, that's uh, that's a problem for two weeks from now. So the, the biggest benefit here is, is that the Rams are healthy. That's obviously the biggest benefit. And before we get into kind of the nuts and bolts, I was kind of ripping through a couple different things here, just making sure I uh, got all the angles down. And um, something that's kind of obvious, this was noted by, uh, who wrote this? Cassidy Hill? I thought it said Pete Doherty. Anyway, she, she brought up the note that obviously the Packers and Rams have a lot in common. There's the massive ties between Matt LaFleur and Sean McVay going all the way back to Washington and whatnot. But the, the one big thing that she brought up was Joe Barry's familiarity with the Rams, which it's one of those things we all knew it, but I think a lot of us, i.e. me, completely forgot about. I want to read the way that she put it because she put it probably better than I probably will if I don't just read this, so I'm going to read it. The familiarity across both sidelines will be noted and discussed ad nauseum in this game. One connection that can get overshadowed by the LaFleur-Sean McVay relationship is that the Packers' defensive coordinator, Joe Barry, to the Rams— He spent four years coaching on defense under McVay, four years going against the offense in practice, and four years getting to know each guy in the building. In short, Barry knows the Rams roster backward and forward. Now, I think that's kind of awesome because we really like Joe Barry now. Uh, We really like what he's doing. Last week wasn't the greatest week in the world, but we brought him here to give us the defense that the Rams have. I'm sure there are certain offenses that are going to be difficult for him and his defense and all these kinds of things to be able to execute against. But if there's any offense that I think Sean McVay should be able to um, exploit, it's this one. Now, I guess you could say the other way around. You you could say Sean McVay knows how to attack Joe Barry because they've played each other, etc., etc. But as the article goes on to point out, it's not just that I know how to scheme against your offense in terms of its scheme, but in terms of he understands each of the players particularly, 
their strengths and their weaknesses. The article goes on to say, and this is a quote, I believe, from Joe Barry, went to a Super Bowl with that team, drafted a bunch of those guys, recruited a bunch of those guys in free agency, things like that. So a lot of personnel relationships with not only staff members, but players as well. He says, so it was weird scouting them, but it's exciting. In other words, he's going through the scouting process of your upcoming opponent, and it's the guys that that you know, that that you watched tape on when they were in college, that you were pounding the table for in the, in the war room saying, I want that guy on this defense. Guys that you helped coach up, guys, you know what their weaknesses are. You tried to coach it out of them. You know, as a defensive coordinator, it's, and this is where you, you are a massive benefit to your offense as well, uh, you know, talking about Matt LaFleur and whatnot, is you know that as as the guy either working with or, or coaching this defense, there's certain things you tried to mask. Same, same thing you do with every defense. Try to cover up this weakness or that weakness. He knows what those are. So that'll be an interesting dynamic to watch for. So anyways, why don't we start off before we get into the full roster, kind of looking at their prior games. The LA Rams are sitting at 7-3. and three. Um, Obviously, that's a very good record. And as we get into the roster, we're going to talk about a lot of players that are very, very good football players, which is going to be very scary, as it should be. It, it, there, there is talent, but I think there should also be a lot of question marks. Um, I, I've been very vaguely talking about the Rams for a while, and I, I think I first called them frauds after they lost to Tennessee. The Tennessee thing kind of woke me up, because I wasn't really watching closely any of their games or anything like that, but... Um, when Tennessee lost Derrick Henry, I said they're 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 doomed, right? Tennessee doesn't have their main their main player, the the main engine that makes this thing go. And the Rams are this seven and one force; they're going to get wrecked. Well, Tennessee beat them sixteen to twenty eight. And so from that point, I went back and I looked and I said, okay, that's obviously kind of a fluky game, but let's see what they've done so far. They they won the week prior, but that was the Houston Texans. All right, well, what about the week before that? Well, that was the Detroit Lions. Oh, well, okay. What about the week before that? Well, that was the Giants. Oh, well, that's, we're talking about like <laughs> literally the three worst teams in football. What about the week before that? Well, that was the Seahawks. Okay, well, the Seahawks aren't very good. Sorry, I got sidetracked. My son was just banging down my door to tell me that Michigan and Ohio State is on. So they lost to the, the, the three worst teams in football and they beat Seattle. And again, I think maybe at the time I thought Seattle was good. We have come to realize Seattle is not a very good football team. And beyond that, we're talking about division rivals, so there's always kind of a weird thing there. The week before that, they lost 37-20 to to the Arizona Cardinals. So they beat four bad teams in a row after losing to the Arizona Cardinals. Prior to that, they did beat Tampa Bay. It seems like every everybody's one game where it's like, oh, that was impressive, is beating Tampa Bay. It's kind of weird. Um, they beat the Colts, who are about a 500 caliber team, and they won by three. Um, and they beat the Chicago Bears, who are a bad football team. So they had one impressive win over Tampa. They've beat one, two, three, four, five, well, call it four bad teams and two mediocre teams. In the last two weeks, they went up against Tennessee, which is a good team, and got blown up. So the three times they played good teams, they played Tampa and won. They played Arizona and lost. They lost to Tennessee. And they lost by a lot, 28 to 16. Then they played the San Francisco 49ers. Now, I I wasn't super confident that the 49ers would necessarily win the game, but I went ahead and bet on the 49ers anyways, because it's one of those things where Nobody thinks the 49ers even have a chance. 
because the 49ers are pretty bad and the Rams have a great record. And in my mind, it was like a 55-45 thing in favor of the Rams. And I thought, you know what? If I'm wrong, it's not a big deal. If I'm right, you look like a genius. So I went ahead and bet on the 49ers. And, and not only did the 49ers win, the 49ers annihilated the Rams 31-10. to 31-10. to So their offense the last two weeks scored 16 and 10 points, which is the two lowest that they've had all season. The two worst games they had all season were the last two weeks. Their defense gave up 28 and 31, which are two of the three worst. Aside from that Arizona Cardinals lost, loss, these are the two most points given up all season. So it's, it's almost fair to say the two worst games they've played all year were the last two games they played. And again, they really have not shown, despite clearly having serious talent on their team, they have not proven to be a team that is just a Goliath that can go toe-to-toe with the best of the best and just beat them. And the one time they did was the, was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'll be completely honest, you go look at the Tampa Bay and say, I don't know that it's, I don't know that they're much better than the Rams. You know, we do this thing where you kind of compare teams. Usually I do AFC, NFC, but these two teams kind of remind me of you. They, they both have great stats, great records, but look at the teams they've beaten. They beat Dallas week one, which was not, you know, they didn't really hit their stride in week one. They beat Atlanta, who's bad. They beat the Patriots before they were any good. They beat Miami, who's trash. Philly, who's bad. Chicago, who's bad. They lost to the Saints, lost to Washington, and beat the Giants, who are bad. Who's the best team they beat? They beat Dallas week one by two points. Tampa Bay has not played hardly anybody that's any good. The Indianapolis Colts are playing this week. They're playing on the road. The Colts, again, are a 500-caliber team right now. They're 6-5. and five. That's what they are. I don't know that I'm putting a ton on Tampa. They got Atlanta again. That's a win. Buffalo, I, again, Buffalo's kind of up and down. I think they're going to So anyways, the, the point is, even that win over Tampa, I can't tell you definitively how impressive that is. Now, none of this means they're automatically going to lose to Green Bay. But it does mean that there are serious questions about L.A. and their ability to win tough football games. Now, they did come off a bye. You know, you look at their last two losses and you say, well, maybe maybe they figured it out. Maybe they got some of the kinks out, whatever. But dropping two in a row is a serious thing. And we've seen several teams that all of a sudden it's like, what is Tampa? Tampa is, is exactly that. You think they're just this immovable force and they drop two games that they absolutely shouldn't have lost. And it's like, what the heck is this? And they, they bounced back, but it was against a garbage team. Maybe the Rams' big bounce back will be after this week when they play the Jaguars. I don't know. And they, they got a tough schedule, by the way. They're at Green Bay. Then you got Jaguars at home. At Arizona. Then you got Seattle at home. Then it's at Minnesota, at Baltimore, and San Francisco at home. That is a grueling schedule. And if this isn't a very improved team, they might have just spent a ton of money. And, you know end up going, what, three and six over the last nine games, losing to Tennessee, the 49ers, the Packers, the Cardinals, and then, you know, I don't know, Minnesota, Baltimore, beating the Jaguars, Seattle, and San Francisco at home, maybe. I mean, just look at when they when when they actually did well. Again, Tampa is the one outlier here, but the games in which they scored 30 or more points, they did it against the Giants, who have the 24th ranked defense. They did it against Houston, who has the 30th ranked defense, and the Bears, who have the 19th ranked defense. These are all bottom half defenses. They've kept four teams under 20. Well, that was against, again, the Giants, whose offense ranks 25th, Chicago, whose offense ranks 29th, um, Seattle, whose offense ranks 24th, and the Lions, who offense ranks 31st. 
These are some of the worst offenses in football. So, you know, where is that one really big performance? Where is that really impressive performance? You say, well, can't you kind of say that about the Packers? The, 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 again, the point isn't to say the Rams are a bad football team. It's just, I'm just defanging them a bit. They have some serious questions to answer. And the bye week isn't, exa- isn't exactly the thing that cures everybody. You know, you remember sort of famously when I did my um, laughing at the enemy segment about the Vikings, when they were having a lot of serious, like, what the heck is going on with this team situations where they lost week one, lost week two, beat Seattle, lost to Cleveland, barely beat Detroit by two points, and then barely beat the Carolina Panthers in overtime. And so the question is, what the heck is going on? So then they go into their bye week, and it's like, all right, we got we got a whole week. We're going to figure this thing out. They come out and play Dallas and lose, and then they play Baltimore and lose. They go 0-2 after their bye. Now, they've gone 2-0 since then, but the point is, the bye week isn't just to fix all. In fact, teams so far this year are 9-10-1 coming out of their bye. It's, it's like right down the middle. So, you know, the bye week is nice to get yourself healthy, but the whole we've had another week of game planning or whatever, I, I just don't see a lot of data this year or, or anywhere that I can find that shows the bye week is just this great thing. Chicago lost to Baltimore. The Chargers lost to New England. Minnesota lost to Dallas. Las Vegas lost to the Giants. Um, Tampa lost to Washington. San Francisco lost to Indy. Seattle lost to Green Bay. The Giants lost to Tampa. Jacksonville lost to Seattle. The Jets lost to New England. So we've already played a team coming off their bye. It was Seattle. How did they look? They look just like they're just ready to just take over the world, or they play kind of sloppy and like garbage? Kind of sloppy and like garbage. The only real games I can look at as being impressive coming out of a bye, um, maybe Houston over Tennessee would be a big one. Um, but I would say that it probably has more to do with Tennessee falling asleep because it's Houston than anything. And Washington beating Tampa, maybe. And maybe you want to give halfway credit to Detroit coming out of their bye and tying Pittsburgh. <laughs> so that's the situation. The Rams are, are, I would say, at best where the Packers are at. They're a good team with a lot of questions. Biggest difference is they're healthy and we're not, but we're at home and they're away. We'll call it even. Anyways, let's go ahead and take a break. Right, Shia. Come back and look at the team uh, as far as their roster and whatnot. If you'd like to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you're not into that, Venmo, Cash App, Coinbase, hit me up. I'll let you know. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. 
Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so I, I don't know that I've really done this much this year, but just looking at uh, PFF overall rankings, and again, this is overall for the season, um, so there can be some up and down, and we can look at that. But overall right now, PFF has the LA Rams as the second best team in football, just barely behind the New England Patriots, and just a little bit ahead of the Dallas Cowboys. For reference, the Green Bay Packers, they have ranked 14th. Offensively, they have the LA Rams ranked 4th, the Green Bay Packers 12th. Passing grade, which is the quarterback, obviously. Rams are 10th, Packers are 18th. Pass blocking, which blocking, which is not going to make anybody super happy. They are the number one ranked team in football. Green Bay Packers are 7th. Receiving, the Rams are 11th, the Packers are 8th, which is 99% Devontae. In terms of uh, running the ball, they have the Rams 13th, the Packers 4th. Run blocking, the LA Rams are 11th, the Green Bay Packers are 27th. As I've said, that is a really big area of concern. Sorry for my one-year-old screaming her head off. I don't know what that's about. Defensive grades, LA Rams, number one, Green Bay Packers, eighth. Run defense, LA Rams, second, and the Green Bay Packers, 17th. Tackling, the Green Bay Packers are number one, the Rams are fifth. Pass rush, the Rams are third, which is probably 90% Aaron Donald, but of course they went and got Von Miller also. The Green Bay Packers are 8th. Coverage, the Rams are 12th. The Packers are 13th. Remember, the PFF does not grade Stokes or pretty much any of our guys very highly almost ever. So there is a difference between grades and just straight up production as evidenced again by the fact that the Rams are not playing all that well. But when we go through the roster, you're going to see why they have such high grades. They have a lot of good football players. And as I said with the Packers, if you look at 20, uh, 2019-2020, we had elite players everywhere. PFF loved our defense, but our defensive coordinator didn't exactly know what to do with them. The exact opposite is true this year. A lot of our high-octane, high-quality players are gone, and our defense is playing better than they did last year. The individual players are not grading out very highly because they're not, you know, Razul Douglas is not Jair Alexander. Uh, Garvin is not Zadarius. The grades are not going to be as high, but again, the production is still there. Special teams, believe it or not, the Packers are not dead last. Uh, The Rams are 26th, the Packers are 29th, so they're both pretty bad units. Um, For reference, the Giants, Seahawks, and Chargers rank lower than the Packers. And it's funny because I don't know, it's it's not one of those things where it's like, yeah, well, we've got this, you know, we just can't cover punts, but everything else is, you know, like when, when in the past, we always at least had Mason Crosby just killing it. Now Mason can't make a field goal to save his life. Our long snapper is just burying the ball in the dirt. We still can't really cover kicks or punts. We can't return kicks or punts. And our punter's still pretty good. But we're starting to see a lot more, you know. It's been a while since we've just been in awe of Bajorquez. Point is, every single facet, with the exception of punting, is flat out bad. So it's hard to imagine how anybody could possibly be worse. But they are. But the, the, the good news here is that the uh, Rams do not have a good special teams unit. Looking at their roster, um, quarterback Matthew Stafford is ranked 16th right now, 77 overall grade. So he's good, not great. It's pretty much the same Matt Stafford we've always known. He's as dangerous as anybody can be, but he's not, um, I don't know, he's, he's Matt Stafford. 
Wide receivers, it's really all about Cooper Cup. Um, Cooper Cup is the second highest graded wide receiver in the NFL right now, 89.4 overall grade. Um, it used to be Robert Woods was the number two. Robert Woods, very, very good, 75 overall grade, 26th overall, but Robert Woods got put on IR. Um, so as of right now, Odell Beckham, who is ranked 71st in the NFL, and between the kids screaming because they're in pain or a baby or my son screaming about a football game, two teams he's never watched in his life, Michigan and Ohio State, he picked one of them to be his favorite, and he's freaking out right now. Doesn't take much, man. He is loyal. I'll, I'll find out which team he is loyal to in a minute, but uh, he picked one and is just a diehard right now. But that's Odell. So they, so they went from 26th overall Robert Wood to 71st overall Odell Beckham, despite the fact that 99% of the football landscape thinks that Odell Beckham is a massive upgrade over Robert Woods, that would be incorrect. Not to say Odell can't still be scary, but he's not the same Odell we've seen, you know, since forever. The uh, main other wide receiver for this team is Van Jefferson. He's ranked 90th out of 128 wide receivers with a 62 overall grade. So, I mean, really it comes down to Cooper Cup. If we were to try to compare them to the Minnesota Vikings, it is a downgrade at um, quarterback. It is about a lateral move, I would say. I guess technically it would be up, but um, Cooper Cup would be your Justin Jefferson. And then they have a really big downgrade. If, if Robert Woods was still playing, I would say this is this is pretty much the same wide receivers between um, Woods and Thielen, just in terms of, of overall talent. But with um, Woods being out, I think it's, it's a downgrade. So lesser talented wide receivers even with Cup potentially being better than Justin Jefferson, but a downgrade at Robert Woods over Adam Thielen and Matthew Stafford in place of Kirk Cousins. At running back, the Rams generally run the ball well, and I should look at this really quickly. So they rank sixth in yards per attempt, so they're still moving the ball quite well. They've always done that, but in terms of, and and again, that's the difference between grades and production. You can have a bunch of mediocre running backs and run the ball well. You can have a really good running back and not have a very scary running game like Minnesota and Dalvin. They just, they didn't really do much with Dalvin. This is a team that knows how to run the ball, but they don't really have any elite running backs. Um, Their number one running back is Daryl Henderson. Daryl Henderson is a good running back, but not super elite. 70 overall grade, 29th out of 59. Um, I think everyone expected him to be a very elite prospect. He was a third round pick out of Memphis. I think I was really big on Daryl Henderson. I really liked him, but Uh, 2021, he had a 70 overall grade. 2020, 80 overall grade. So he was really going up, up, up. Now he's down to a 61 point. I did that backwards. I don't know why they switched it. It used to go from bottom to top. Now it goes from top to bottom. It's super annoying. But anyways, point is he had a massive second year leap and he's regressed a bit this year. Um, Their secondary running back is Sony Michelle, the guy who was with the Patriots for quite a while. Um, He is having his worst year ever in terms of he was better with New England. So that's that's sort of the duo, Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle. Henderson has less than 600 yards and uh, has five touchdowns so far this season. Um, as far as yardage, his biggest game, 90 yards and a touchdown. So, um, you know, he's fine. Doesn't really have any dominant games. He's, he's good to average, consistently good to average. Um, as far as Sony Michelle, under 300 yards, one touchdown, one fumble, 3.8 yards per attempt. So he's just not getting it done over there. So Henderson's the guy. Um, he's also the guy as far as being a receiver at 5'8", 208. He's sort of the smaller Aaron Jonesy type. Um, so he's he's kind of doing it all. 
I guess you would say it's sort of like Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams if both of them were worse. Whereas Aaron Jones is your better runner, better blocker, better receiver. Jamal Williams is fine. He's sort of your hammer, but it's just, it's not working real well. Um, at tight end, their primary tight end is Tyler Higby. He's been there for quite a while. Um, he has had 578 snaps. The next highest is 102 by Johnny Munt. Never heard of him. So again, uh, the main guy is Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby has a 60 overall grade. He's ranked 46th out of 74. Um, he's got a, a heck of a bell curve. His grade since 2016, and this is the correct direction I'm going, 45, 62, 70, 86, 67, 60. So bad, mediocre, good, great, mediocre, I mean, slightly less mediocre or more mediocre, however you say that. As far as his impact in the game, I mean, he's a decent pass blocker as a receiver, though he just hasn't really contributed a ton. He's had two games with over 50 yards. He has three touchdowns so far this season. Um, if I had to pick a best game, I mean, the, the most yardage he's had with a touchdown was 40 yards and a touchdown. Um, otherwise, I mean, six targets, five receptions, 68 yards might've been his best game against Chicago. So not a ton of production from Tyler Higby. Um, and, and this might be part of the issue. I mean, just looking at the Rams, um, you know, you do have a new quarterback, which although he is overall an upgrade over the quarterback you had. He's also a different style of quarterback, so you're trying to incorporate that. You've got Cooper Cup. You don't really have a dominant number two wide receiver, especially with Robert Woods going out. You don't really have a good running back, um, which, you know, you used to have Gurley back in the day. And I mean, you, you, you had solid tight end. You know, this was Higby's prime, you know, if you go back two years ago. You got Gurley there. You've got like three really good wide receivers, I think and a system that nobody knows how to stop, not to mention a very, very good offensive line. So um, things are, are slowly unraveling for the Rams, and, and that's going to continue just based on their style. They've completely abandoned drafting and developing, and uh, you've seen the talent continue to leave. Uh, guys get more and more expensive because you're living in free agency, which is the most expensive way to collect talent. And so there's just this slow erosion where you look at it and say, it's, it's the Rams, and it's the Rams offense, and it's still McVay, but as I go through it and just remember what it used to be just two, three years ago, it's like, this is, this is not, it's not as good. Cooper Cup is having maybe his best year ever. Otherwise, everything is just worse. Um, offensive line, as I mentioned, it is a very, very good offensive line. There's no question about it. Left tackle, Andrew Whitworth, um, he is, <laughs> he's going to be 40 years old soon, like next month, maybe. Um, he's having as good a year as he's ever had. I mean, he's just, he's never been anything but a very good football player. It's just insane. I'm just going to run through his grades. It's going to take forever because he's been here since 2006, but it's worth highlighting how good this guy is. Here are all his grades since 2006. 70, 88, 69, 82, 90, 81, 75, 91, 92, 83, 83, 80, 86, 72, 86, 84. He hasn't had a 60 overall grade since 2008. Since 2013, he's had one game where he was, or one uh, season where he was in the 70s. Every other game has been 80s or 90s, and he's at an 84.5 right now. This guy is just a freak. He has a 91 pass blocking grade and a 70 run blocking grade. He doesn't do anything poorly, and he's one of the best pass blocking tackles in all of football right now. I don't understand how a guy can do that at, at, at 40 years old. Anyways, at uh, left guard, they have uh, David Edwards, the old Wisconsin Badger. Um, he's in his third year right now. He has a 67 overall grade. He's not 
great. He's not horrible. He's not a massive liability, but 67 pass blocking grade, 64 run blocking grade. Um, if there's any weakness, that's probably it. As center, you got Brian Allen, um, 74.5 overall grade, seventh overall center in football, fifth overall in, in run blocking, 81.8. So that's his strength. Pass blocking, 60.9. Really hoping Kenny Clark can kind of mess him up a little bit, um, at least in on passing downs. Austin Corbett, um, the first two years were not very good. The last two years have been pretty solid. This is their right guard, second round pick in 2018. 68 pass blocking grade, 67 run blocking grade, 70.9 overall, 17th out of 78 guards. So he's solid. Finally, right tackle Rob Havenstein, almost 30 years old. Another guy that's just been solid since basically forever outside of 2019. If I had to guess, I would say he was injured in 2019 because it's such a ridiculous outlier. But um, as of right now, he's ranked 19th among tackles, 76 overall grade, 76 pass blocking, 71 run blocking. Um, He's been 70, 80s pretty much forever. So it's a very good offensive line. There's there's no two ways about it. And with us being down um, pass rushers, this is going to be brutal. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, starting on the interior, obviously the number one guy is Aaron Donald. Um, he really does not get rotated. In fact, if you look at uh, the numbers, he's out there more than just about anybody. He's not out there quite as much as some of the safeties and corners and stuff, but 576 snaps, they don't pull him off the field. And why should they? He's got like 14% body fat. I mean, he's he's in shape about as much as the corners are. He's not a 350-pound guy that needs a breather. Um, 92.3 overall grade, number one among defensive tackles. This has been his story since forever. Um, some of the other defensive tackles, uh, the main two are going to be Sebastian Joseph Day and Greg Gaines. Greg Gaines is actually having a really, really good year. Uh, usually it's Aaron Donald and nobody, but Greg Gaines, um, 74 overall run defense. Uh, his pass rush grade is a 72 overall. He's actually ninth among defensive tackles. So um, he's, he's, he's a 10% pass rush guy, 20 pressures, 198 attempts. He's got three sacks, so he doesn't have a lot of sacks, but um, he is a factor, and that's unfortunate because we got enough to worry about. As far as Sebastian Joseph Day, 6'4", 310, he was a sixth-round pick. I mean, he's, he's an average football player, uh, 15 pressures, 223 attempts, three sacks. So he's not much of a pass rusher, not a good tackler. Um, run defense is his biggest asset, 65 overall. So he's not terrible, but, you know, again, it, it's really the, the fact that when you have an Aaron Donald, you kind of hope some of these other guys are horrible, and they're just not horrible. I mean, he's average. The other guy's pretty good. Off the edge, um, just more bad news. Von Miller is ranked eighth in the NFL off the edge. Um, Ogbonia Okoronkwo um, is having a breakout season. He was a fifth-round pick. Uh, a lot of people really liked him. I remember him in the draft, but he was in the fifth round is when he got picked. 2019, he had a 64 overall grade. 2020, 67 overall grade. This year, 86.5. He's the sixth-highest graded pass rusher in football 86 overall run defense, 73 pass rush, 76 in coverage. So he can do everything. Now, he isn't out there a ton. He is a pretty rotational guy. Um, Terrell Lewis and Leonard Floyd are um, are really the two top guys until Vaughn got there, and we'll see where he kind of slots in. But uh, Leonard Floyd is ranked 34th with a 78 pass rush grade and a 65 run defense grade. Terrell Lewis is quite bad, but it, but again... You've got basically a starter in Leonard Floyd, right? Top 32. You've got a top 10 guy in Von Miller, 
and a sixth overall guy in Ogbania Okoronkwo on top of Ed Oliver, on top of Greg Gaines. I mean, it, it, this sucks. Um, if you look at Leonard Floyd and, and some of his best games, granted his worst game was last uh, their last game, but some of his best games have come in the last several weeks. He has 37 pressures in 286 attempts and 10 sacks already this year, Leonard Floyd does. He has 10 sacks already. Um, Okoronkwo has 11 pressures, 92 attempts, so he's over 10%. He already has three sacks despite hardly playing at all this year. And uh, you got Von Miller, who has 28 pressures on 186 attempts. Well, actually, now I, I didn't include his uh, LA game last week. Now it's 30 out of 199, so 15%, and he has five sacks. By the way, he has an 83 overall run defense grade and a 78 coverage grade, so it's just, I don't know, man. <laughs> but you see why they grade out as well as they do, and we're not even done yet, but you can see it. Now, have they been able to put it together? Apparently not quite. They're having a bit of a Mike Pettin problem where there's talent everywhere, but still not exactly as dominant as they should be. Again, they've given up basically 30 points the last two weeks. I mean, not combined. I'm talking in each of the last two weeks. Anyways, moving on to linebacker. This is definitely one of their biggest weaknesses and, and hopefully probably a place that we can attack. Um, but their top linebacker is Troy Reader, 46 overall grade, 59th out of 84. Doesn't really grade out well in any category. He has a 45 overall run defense grade, 48 overall coverage grade. The next linebacker with 191 snaps is Ernest Jones, 47 overall grade, 34 overall run defense grade, and a 61 coverage grade. So neither of these guys grades out well at all. The linebackers are just bad. Do they have other linebackers? Yeah, but none of them play. Uh, Traven Howard played 12 snaps. They've got a couple other guys who have not stepped foot on the field. So that's it. That's the whole group. At cornerback, obviously we know that there is some talent here. The number one overall guy is Jalen Ramsey, who is the highest graded cornerback in all of football. Outside of that, there is some question. There's some talented guys, but going in order of, of their snap counts, in other words, who plays the next most, Darius Williams is 74th out of 118 with a 60 overall grade. After that, you have David Long with a 62 overall grade. He's ranked 59th. So these guys are not great. Now, remember, when you talk about last year, the number one overall defense, I talked about how Jalen got too much credit. There were two other guys. on. The, they had three good corners out of three. As of right now, what I'm looking at, they've got um, one of three, and the other two are not very good. Now, they got another guy, Dante Dion, D-E-A-Y-O-N, 70 overall grade. He grades out well but um, seemingly pretty rotational. And they've also got a guy, Terrell Burgess, who hasn't played hardly at all, but he grades out with an 80 overall. So there's a couple of guys that grade out seemingly okay, but if we're just looking at the top three guys that are playing right now, you got the number one overall guy, then you got a guy that's 59th and a guy that's 74th. So compared to last year, their cornerback group has gotten significantly worse. The defensive front is massively better. It's not Aaron Donald and nobody now. They have defensive tackles outside of Aaron Donald and they have edge rushers, which they haven't had in a very long time. Finally, as far as the safeties go, main uh, guys there, Jordan Fuller and Taylor Rapp. Taylor Rapp's been there for a while. Taylor Rapp was a big time my guy. I really, really like Taylor Rapp. Fully acknowledging that the only thing the guy does really well is tackle. He's one of the best tackling football players I've ever seen. Fortunately for us, that has not translated into a well-rounded uh, just dominant football player. 
Uh, he does have a 77 overall run defense grade, but just a 57.6 coverage grade. Uh, he's never really been that great in terms of coverage, giving up 331 yards, two touchdowns. He has two picks and two pass breakups for the season. Jordan Fuller was a sixth-round pick by the Rams in 2020. Did take a really big jump uh, from 2020 to 2021. Whether or not that's a fluke, I don't really know, but he's had a really good uh, last five weeks or so. Uh, last week wasn't that great, but from week six to week nine is really what's made him um, seem quite impressive. 88 run defense grade, 85 tackling grade, but again, not necessarily dominant in terms of coverage. In that same span, been pretty good, but 69 overall grade. Um, given up 202 yards, but almost no yardage since week five. He's given up no touchdowns. Um, let's see, he is a free safety too. So I was wondering how responsible he'd even be for that. But I don't know if he's just not getting challenged or what. Uh, he's hardly been thrown at like at all. So I don't know how they utilize him, but he's, he's having a good season and um, seemingly a good duo. But again, only a second year guy. He's a sixth round pick. I don't know how much of that is. Uh, it's always hard to tell with safeties because unlike some other positions, they're not always, you know, man to man with somebody, you know, like a cornerback would be, but a seemingly decent group. Otherwise, uh, kicker Matt Gay, 73 overall grade in terms of field goals and whatnot. Johnny Hecker, longtime punter. In fact, interesting little relationship there. We got our punter from the Rams. Bohorquez was um, the Rams punter, and they tried to figure out what are we going to do? Do we keep this Bohorquez guy and get rid of longtime punter Johnny Hecker, who is still a good punter, or uh, do we keep the new guy? I think they made the wrong decision. Um, just by virtue of the fact of, of looking at his Johnny Hecker's grades, he's 32 years old. And he's basically gotten worse just about every single year. His first two years, he had a 91 and a 92 overall grade. Uh, from 2015 to 2018, he was right in the 70s, 80s, so 77, 80, 78, and 76. The last three years, 69, 61, and 66. I think punting, punt grading and all that kind of stuff is always tough. But clearly, from their view, he's been getting worse every single year. And again, 32 years old. Not that punters can't punt for a long time, but um, it is strange they got rid of Bohorquez. But anyways, that's what I got. That's sort of the uh, overhead view of the team, and uh, we'll see what we can do tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be more or less just talking trash kind of day, having some fun. But, um, yeah, I guess enjoy your Saturday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>